All right, men. God is good, and he is faithful, and he is here. And if we can get to that space, understanding that, then uh, no matter where you're stuck, uh, he will not only unstuck you, unstick you, but he will rip you out, and you will be freer than you can ever experience by the end of this weekend. If you come into this with that understanding, there's two things that we have to understand at the beginning of a weekend like this, is A, freedom is available. So we've got to understand that. No matter what you're stuck in, freedom is available. It says in Scripture, freedom is here. But the second thing we have to understand, we can't just understand that freedom is available. We're, we have to understand that we are living in warfare. We, we're living in warfare. So if you look at the entire story arc of Scripture, the number one theme throughout Scripture is warfare. From the Old Testament, it didn't just end in the New Testament, all the way into the New Testament. Warfare is a theme because there's an enemy that is trying to steal, kill, and destroy every single man in this room. And the good news is that he's not going to do it. Because as it tells us, I was just reading this when, when uh, we, were, we were singing one of those songs earlier. The Lord put on my heart Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We don't have a high priest that's unable to sympathize with our weakness. Now, I don't know about you, but politics in America has been kind of the news for the last, I don't know, three and a half years. We're all sick and tired of it. And all of them want to make us believe, every single politician on that side of the aisle and on that side of the aisle, want to make us believe that somehow they can sympathize with our weakness. But the truth is, they can't. But we have a Savior that can. Jesus Christ says, oh my gosh, guys, this is who Jesus is. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every single way as we are, yet without sin. Friends, that is some good news right there, that we don't have to look on this world for something or somebody walking around right now that is going to give us some semblance of getting unstuck. Jesus did that for us. Therefore, and this is what we're going to do this weekend, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. When Bob called me and said, we're going to do a, a, a thing called unstuck, I thought, wow. I mean, if, there, if there's anything that our society, I don't, I don't care what generation you're in right now, we have so many distractions that make us stuck. I, like throughout the day, I mean, I don't want to blame anything, but let's blame something. Let, I don't want to blame anything, but let's go ahead and blame something. Like, we, we wonder why we don't hear from God. We, we, we wonder why people are all the time like, Carlos, I can't hear from God. I don't hear from God. And I'm like, well, how, how much time are you staring at the five inches of LCD in your hand a day? And we wonder, and there's all of these distractions 
that are keeping us from God and that are keeping us stuck. And I want to look for just a second at this incredible story of a man who was stuck and desperate in his situation. You see, if we look at Mark chapter 5, there's a story. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And the story is about a man named Jairus. Now, Jairus was stuck. And Jairus wasn't just stuck in like a midlife crisis. Jairus was stuck in a desperate situation. And the thing about Jairus, it says that he has a 12-year-old daughter. Now, I asked earlier, I just want to know how many men in here have kids at all? Almost everybody. How, how, many, how many don't have kids yet? Okay, a couple of you guys that you know of, right? Of course. <laughs> joking, joking, joking. And so, he has a child, and we all understand. We all understand the love that fathers have for their children. And so, Jairus, it says that his 12-year-old daughter was extremely ill. Extremely ill. Now, I don't know about you, but when my kids are sick, I'll do absolutely anything to get them healing. Right? You'll do anything to make them well. So, Jairus hears that Jesus is in town. And so, his daughter's sick. What does he do? He sprints to find Jesus. So, he sprints as fast as he can, and he looks for Jesus. And this is where the story picks up. I love it. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, he came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. This is how desperate this father was. When the desperation leaks out of your body to the point that you can't carry yourself with your own strength anymore, you're stuck. And you're desperate. And he falls at Jesus' feet. And he pleaded earnestly with Jesus. He said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. And then it says Jesus went with him. Now, before we move on, the desperation inside of Jairus is felt that we see when he fell. He fell at Jesus' feet. I can only imagine, it says Jesus went with him. That Jairus wasn't like just having a slow conversation with Jesus on the way to his house. I can only imagine Jairus was probably running, saying, Jesus, come on, let's go a little faster. I mean, I don't know about you, but if it was me, that's how I'd be begging Jesus to hurry, come faster, come faster. Now, the next part of the story, it's incredible. It says that as they were going through the, through the, through the city, it's another incredible part of the message, part of the scripture. It says that a woman who was extremely sick for many years reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' robe. And it said that Jesus felt some power leave him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about Jairus right now in the story. I'm sure Jairus wasn't just kind of standing going, oh, this is cool. Look, I wonder what's going to happen here. And it said that Jesus stopped and he said, who touched me? This woman lifted up her hand. She said, it was I. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. And in a moment, that woman was healed of her issue. In that moment, it was one of the most incredible stories of miracles, stories of healing that we find in the Bible. But do you see when in Jairus' story, this story interrupted? You see, I'm dead certain 
that Jairus wasn't just watching this going, this is amazing. This is so amazing. I'm so glad that you healed that woman. No. What was Jairus doing? Come on. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Come, please, with me. My daughter's the one that is dying. Why are you stopping and healing somebody else? Let me talk to some of you men in here that are stuck because you've prayed and begged for Jesus to do something in your life. And you've watched Jesus do something else. You've prayed and begged Jesus to come and rescue something in your life. And you've been waiting patiently. And you keep watching him go and heal that family. Heal that marriage. Heal something else. And then it got even more terrible. Because it says where we pick up the scripture, watch this. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some of the people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. You see this. While Jesus was still speaking, while Jesus is still talking to the people about the woman, some people come from Jairus' house. He said, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Here's where so many of us get stuck. The worst has happened to us. We've lost businesses. We've lost marriages. We've lost family members. And the rage that builds up inside of our heart is real and it is palpable. But as we saw, just like I read a little while ago in Hebrews, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way as we are. See, that, that, that's the Jesus that Jairus was standing in front of. So as the rage filled inside of him, Jesus, I asked you to heal my daughter. She's dead. Jesus, his words are simple. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just what? Okay, that's the most Sunday school answer I've ever heard Jesus give. Just believe? What? You serious? Are you serious, Jesus? Just believe. My friends just told me that my daughter is dead. Just believe. Jairus was desperate for a rescue. He was desperate, and he sprinted to Jesus and begged him to heal his daughter, and he didn't heal somebody else. Man, I know, because I've been there before. I've been there begging Jesus to do something, and he does something else. And I get stuck because I give up at that point. But the truth is, we can't give up when it hits the fan. We can't give up when life completely crumbles. Because, friends, you know, there's more to this story. Jesus said, okay, let's go. And he followed Jairus to his house. They walked into the bedroom where his daughter was. Jesus stood in front of that dead little girl. And Jesus Christ himself looked at her and said, rise. And breath entered her lungs. And that little girl stood up. And follow me for a second. What Jairus was hoping was going to be a rescue, Jesus turned into a resurrection. Let me say this again. What Jairus thought was going to be a rescue, Jesus turned into a resurrection. 
Friends, Jesus has so much more in his story for you than just rescuing you. He doesn't just want to rescue you out of your situations. He wants to resurrect you out of your situation. But the only way for that to happen is what? Death. Yes, you've got to die in order to be raised with Christ again. And so many of us have been stuck for so long because we've been waiting for Jesus to rescue us. We've been waiting for him to rescue us. And guess what? Rescue will happen, but he doesn't want to just rescue you. He wants to resurrect you. And this weekend, that can begin to happen in your life. If you die to yourself and allow Jesus to raise you back up. You see, these stories are all over Scripture. These stories are all over Scripture. And a lot of times, what, when, when I look at Scripture, and here's the deal. Some of you guys might be thinking, oh, I've got a friend that needs to hear this story. I got a friend of mine that, that needs to hear this because, yeah, they're, they're dealing with some things. And the, the truth of the matter is, yes, we all have friends like that, but I don't care how perfect you feel like your life is right now. Jesus, he is into our maturity. There's one thing that he's going to do. He's going to grow us up. He's going to keep growing us up. There's, he's promised over and over in Scripture that he's going to continue to mature us and to grow us up. And he will pull you closer to him if you just allow this resurrection thing to not just be a one-time thing. But every single day, how, Jesus, can I die to myself today and allow you to resurrect me today? How can I die to what I did yesterday and allow you to resurrect me again? I believe, I know, that resurrection is available for some of you guys even tonight. But the only way to do that is to completely die to yourself. You see, looking at this story and looking at um, how Jesus went about this situation with Jairus' daughter, I, I think, okay, well, how can I be more like Jesus? How, how, can, how can I help myself be unstuck and even help other people in my life? Because the only way you can help somebody else get unstuck is to be unstuck yourself. And so it doesn't have to be the, like these, these, these massive ways. The, way, the first way we get unstuck is simple. We find Jesus. Say, find Jesus. You, you, we got to find him. Jairus went looking for Jesus. He, he went looking for him. And some of us, are, we're just so exhausted. We're so exhausted by just the grind and the hustle every single day that we've stopped looking and we just simply start existing. But what if, what if we began to live a little bit more intentional? I, I believe that that's how you get unstuck. When you find Jesus, you begin to live a little bit more intentional. You know, I was... Um, I was with my daughters uh, a few years ago. We were sitting on the sofa. They were like 9 and 10 years old at the time. Now they're 16 and 15. And, um, and w w when I look at the story of Jesus, I think, man, he was so intentional about everything he did. How can I do this in my family? And so we're, we're sitting on the sofa, and, and this, this, this commercial came on TV. And it was an extra gum commercial. Now, I'm going to play this extra gum commercial for you men. And I'm going to say that like 74% of you guys are going to cry. Okay? So just be ready. And, 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 and just trust me, I, I, you guys are some kind of tough northern men up in here. But, but you're going to watch this commercial. And I want to show you how just being a little bit intentional with every single day in your life can not only unstick you, but help your entire family get unstuck. Watch this. So look, at Bob is weeping. Now, I want to remind all of you, that was a gum commercial. I was watching that. With my daughters and I was on the sofa. And I just remember by the end of it, I was like, oh, my God. 
I was weeping. And, and I remember the, the, the first thing I did immediately after that commercial, I got up and I walked to my minivan in the driveway. And I drove to Walgreens. And what did I buy? It worked. Pack of extra gum. And I, and I went home and I, I pulled out my phone and I YouTubed how to make an origami flamingo or whatever that thing was. And, and I went inside and I waited for one of my daughters to start crying. And it was Sayana. She started crying, my, my, my middle child. And she's like, oh, I can't remember what it was about. At this point in their life, my daughters are crying like every 30 minutes about something. And so I was like, baby, come here. And I pulled out the gum and I made a really ugly version of that flamingo th crane thing. And I handed it to her, and I was like, every time you're sad, I just want you to look at this flamingo and know that Daddy loves you. She goes, Daddy, it's beautiful. And I go, I know. And she took it. And you know what I hope she did? Went and found a shoebox and put it in that shoebox. And then every time she's sad or cries, I, I had this dream that I was going to go give her another pack of gum and make another flamingo. And she put that in the shoebox and another shoebox. And finally, when I let her move out at 25 or 35 years old, I'm going to be, like, kicking boxes over on the way to the station wagon looking for the box of flamingos to spill on my driveway. Now, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Anybody? Yeah. I, I, I loved her. But can I tell you why I did that? I did that because I wanted to feel what that man felt. I wanted to feel what that man felt. I was so desperate to feel what he felt that I went and did what he did. Now, bad news. The next morning, I went to take my morning pee, and I opened up the toilet, and there was a flamingo just floating <laughs> right in my toilet. It didn't work. I never made her another one. But the goal, the goal was to be intentional with my daughter to make these moments, right? The goal was to be intentional so anytime she was stuck in a season of her life, I was going to be like Jesus and be intentional and make a movement. Now, go with me for a second. What if, what if we did follow this dad's lead, but it wasn't little flamingo crane things we were making? What if every day in our families we hand out these moments on purpose wrapped with Jesus? What if every single day you show Jesus another way. You show Jesus another way. You show Jesus another way. Can I tell you what's going to happen? Just like that commercial. The more intentional you are about you getting unstuck, the more your family is going to see you get unstuck. And day after day, you're going to hand these moments wrapped in Jesus out. And one day, it may not be in a year. It may not be in five years. It may not be in 15 years. But one day, that box of intentional Jesus is going to spill all over your life. And that, you know what that's called? Revival. You see, when men like this in this room, can you imagine for just a second, if each and every one of us left this place and began to live intentional lives for Jesus on a daily basis, and when that box spills all over our communities, all over our churches, all over our workplaces, oh, friends, everybody gets unstuck. But you have to do it on purpose. So the first way we get unstuck is when we find Jesus. And you have to find him on purpose. Jairus didn't find Jesus on accident. He went searching for him on, on purpose. And then there's some of us who maybe 
maybe we're not in that, that desperate situation. But maybe we're in a situation where there's so much chaos around our lives that we're, we're stuck because of chaos. And th- there's an incredible example of chaos in Scripture and a group of people that were stuck in Exodus chapter 14. Now we're going to rewind to the Old Testament. And I love this story. So you've got the Israelites. And the Israelites, have been, they, they've been slaves for many years. And finally, the man shows up and Moses frees them. And now they're like, whoa, we're out of here. And so they're running, right? And they're going as fast as they can and they're running. But they're running because there's an army of Egyptians chasing them, right? So like they're, run, they're running. I mean, they're running. And so finally, here's a stuck moment. They get to the edge of an ocean. And they stand there and they're looking in front of them going, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And they look behind them and they see an army like coming down the mountain. And then they looked at Moses, and they're like, we're stuck. How are you going to get us out of this? Watch this story. When the Israelites saw the king and his army coming after them, they were very frightened, and they cried to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, what have you done to us? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There were plenty of graves for us in Egypt. We told you in Egypt, leave us alone. We're going to stay and serve the Egyptians. Now we're going to die in the desert. Do you see what's happening here? They're finally free, but when they're faced with their first moment of chaos, what do they want to go and be again? Huh, slaves. They're stuck. They're stuck in this repetitive cycle. And we can look at the Israelites and go, man, what a bunch of idiots. They're finally free. But when I look in the mirror, after I've been free, and there starts to be some chaos in my life, What do we want immediately to go back to? What we were stuck in. Our slavery. Our chains. Because see, the enemy, we talked about that earlier, is here to steal, kill, and to destroy. And guess what? The only power he has is in his lies. He's a liar. And he's going to keep you stuck in those lies. And we end up just like the Israelites. I love Moses' response, though. Here it is. This is how they get unstuck. But Moses answered, don't be afraid. Stand what? Still. Stand still. Some of you guys are freaking out. So quiet. Did he forget what he was going to say? Guys, that was... 45 seconds of silence. And I could just see the blood pressure rising in the room. Because we don't know how to stand still anymore. We don't know how to do that. We we don't know how to do that. And can I tell you what happened? When they stood still, the Lord split that sea wide open. And they walked to the promised land. And he rescued them. And they got unstuck, but they had to stand still. We don't do that anymore. I love what Pastor Bob said. Find one hour. Guys, that was just 45 seconds. You guys are going to have panic attacks all over this campus tomorrow for an hour. This is 45 seconds. But I promise you, when you stand still, 
when you slow down, when you lower the volume of life, the volume of God goes up. If, if, if you're wondering how to hear from God, when you lower the volume of life, the volume of God goes up. And again, I mean, I, I know I'm hating on this thing. Listen, I live on this thing. But we get to a red light, 30 seconds of red light, and we immediately look at our phone like, oh, I wonder if there's a notification on. Like, I wonder, I wonder what's happening. Like, I wonder if anybody's like, like, like my picture. I wonder, we, we don't know what to do anymore. We don't know how to stand still. And it's not that God hasn't been speaking. It's not that he hasn't been speaking. I've, I know that Holy Spirit is speaking 24 hours a day, seven days a week to us. He never stops speaking. The problem is, is that we have so many other voices in our lives stacked up on top of each other that we're not hearing God clearly. I mean, I don't know about you, but, but I think, I mean, I, mean, I, I look at my, 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 my kids. Look at the 16, 17-year-olds. The number one killer of teenagers in America right now is suicide. Number one. The number one. You need to hear this. And we wonder why. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, the amount of stories and other people's things that we place on our shoulders on a daily basis is not what God created us to handle. He did not create us to handle all the information that we're handling. Our souls in Eden weren't created for that. We were created to stand still with him. My grandparents, in order for them to enter into somebody else's story, in order for them to put another person's story on their shoulders, they had to get a letter sent to them. Then my, my grandma would open the letter in Colón, Panama, and she would read the letter. And if it was good news, she would celebrate with somebody. If it was bad news, she would mourn with them. But that was the only way. Somebody had to, like, literally send her something written. Then my parents, I remember the first time we got cable in the 80s. And then suddenly we got more news available, and then we got this thing called an answering machine. Now, if you're, like, under 20, you don't know what those things are. But there were these things that, that, that hung out next to the wall, next to a telephone that was actually attached to the wall. And there were little tapes in it. <laughs> and then, like, somebody would call the wall phone, and the little tape would start playing. And then people could leave their story for us. And so now we, we could get even more stories placed upon our shoulders. And then my generation... We, we, got, we got this thing called the internet, and then email, and now I'm available all the time. And now, guys, we wake up in the morning, and this is our alarm clock, and the first thing we do, I guarantee you in 30 minutes of your day, you're putting more people's stories on your shoulders than my grandparents put on their shoulders in an entire decade. And there's no way, there's no way we were built for that. God wants us back. He wants our stillness back. And there has to be a way. There has to be a way. And I know, and I know, and I know that he's waiting and that revival's right on the other side. But I believe that we can get unstuck when we stand still. We lower the volume of life and the volume of God goes up. Jesus, in the time of his life, the average pace of a human being was three miles an hour. That's how fast I'm walking. Three miles an hour. That's about how fast humans would travel. Nothing. Can you imagine if someone tried to sell you something that went three miles an hour now? <laughs> no, like, like we, we don't appreciate that. We've got to learn to stand still. When the Israelites stood still, they were rescued. How can we do that? Especially this weekend. You guys are set up for that. You're set up to stand still. 
And, and, and this, this can happen even in your families as well. My, my, um, my daughter's right around that same age that that commercial came out. They were really into, like, the first version of Justin Bieber. Not the latest version, but the first version. Now, they were, um, they'd saved their money to go to this Justin Bieber concert in Memphis, Tennessee. And they were super excited. They had a countdown clock on their, or calendar on their wall. Oh, take the picture back down real quick. It's not time for it yet. Okay. And they had a countdown the, uh, calendar on their wall. And they, they were counting down the, the, the weeks and the days before the Justin Bieber concert. And we show up to the FedEx Forum. And, and I'm, with, I'm with my, and I just grew up with brothers, so like I don't, I don't understand any of these emotions that are happening with my daughters. And we walk into the FedEx Forum, and there's 15,000 screaming teenage girls in there. And like there's a countdown clock on the wall of, of the stage, and it's like five minutes before the Biebs explodes, four minutes before the Biebs explodes, three minutes. And about 30 seconds before the Biebs exploded from the stage, my wife leaned over and took a picture that you just saw of my daughter. Let's put that picture back up of my daughter and myself. And look, look, just look at her face. And look at my face. <laughs> she was weeping the entire concert just like that. And she's like, oh. I mean, like she, she's like hyperventilating. She was crying so much. And I'm just thinking, how have I failed as a father? And I look at my wife, and I'm like, what's wrong with her? She's like, she's okay. I was like, but she's not okay. So she cries the whole concert. We get in the car. And like a good dad, I think to myself, we got, we got two and a half hours before we get back to Nashville. I'm going to fix her. <laughs> We're driving home. I'm like, hey, so hey, little baby. Hey, baby. How, how come you were How come you were crying? <laughs> How come you were crying in there? And my wife gave me that look that you all know the wife would give you when you asked that question. Like, be careful what you say to my baby girl. And so Hala said, Daddy, I just love him so much. Excuse me? She literally said, I love him so much. And do you know what I almost launched into? You don't love him. You don't even know that floppy hair boy. You don't know the first thing about love. You don't love that boy. And I almost launched into that. But I felt like the Lord said, stand still. <laughs> Shut up. And so I did. And immediately, I felt like the Lord told me when I stood still. No, 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 no. You see those tears streaming down her face? Because she loves him so much. Those are the same tears that stream down my face. Because I love her so much. So instead of talking to her about why her love is wrong, why don't you tell her why my love is right? And friends, in one second, when I stood still, the conversation shifted. And I talked to my daughter for an hour and a half about the love of Jesus. But that never would have happened had I not stood still. Gosh, man, I know we want to fix things. And I know that you've been built to fix things. But sometimes the greatest thing you can do when things are stuck is a stop. And just rest. And stand still. We'll say it this way. We get unstuck when we stand still. Say stand still. We, we've got to. We've got to get to the space where we stand still.
And then lastly, this last little story in Scripture that I think really helps us when we get stuck. We'll go back to the Gospels. Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 to 31. Really quickly, we've got a story of some, some stuck guys. And, and when, when you look at who was the most stuck in Scripture, it'll actually surprise you. When I was studying, I realized that the, the, the people that were the most stuck in Scripture weren't like people that Jesus was necessarily ministered to. They're, it was his knucklehead disciples. It, it was. He, his best friends on the planet were the most stuck people I find in Scripture. Because the number one phrase that Jesus said to his disciples, more than any other phrase he said in Scripture, was not, O ye of massive faith. It's not what he said. It's not what he said. The number one scripture, the number one thing that Jesus said to his disciples in scripture was, oh ye of little faith. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if the number one thing you said to your boys, your best friends, was, oh man, you guys don't believe me again? That's what he's saying to them over and over again. And so they're stuck over and over. And I love how Jesus unsticks them in this story. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him, they were terrified. They're stuck again. Oh, it's a ghost. And they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. And then there's the most stuck of all the disciples. And his name was Peter. Okay, he, he was the most stuck. And, and this is, I love Peter, his reaction. He's always putting his foot in his mouth in Scripture. He said, well, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. He said, Prove it. It's right there. Jesus, if it's you, prove it. Can, can you imagine again? Can you imagine looking Jesus in the eye and saying, prove it? And I, I know for me, like I think, I think, no, I can't imagine. But again, I look in the mirror. And how many times has Jesus just shown up in our lives? And we're like, ah, I don't know if that's really you. Prove it. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he always does. Watch this. Jesus, when Peter said that, tell me to come near the old water, Jesus didn't preach Peter a sermon. He didn't give him a podcast to listen to. He didn't give him the latest Hillsong CD to like build up his faith so that he could walk on the water. No. He said one word. What was it? The invitation of Jesus to get unstuck is that simple. Come. Just come. So, Jesus says, come. Peter slowly steps out. And here it is. Jesus has Peter step out of the boat. And, and Peter, a, just a normal dude like you and me, is actually walking on water. He's walking on liquid He's floating. He's doing it. He's doing the thing. He's like, oh. I can just imagine. He's like, what? Whoa. Oh, man. But then, but then he saw the wind. See what happens when we take our eyes off Jesus? He saw the wind, and he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And here, here it is. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. And here's the phrase, O ye of Little faith, why did you doubt? I think 
the rescue that Jesus shows us happened in two steps. How he got Peter unstuck. When Peter doubted Jesus, I think Jesus opened his heart. Then, the rescue really happened. When he began to sink, he not only opened his heart, but he opened his what? Hand. You see, if you want to rescue and help people get unstuck like Jesus, you can't just open your heart. That's the easy part. That's called having compassion. But you actually have to put action behind your conviction. Because a lot of men in this room are super convicted. But when we follow conviction with action, that's when people get unstuck. And Jesus opens his heart and he opens his hand. We get unstuck when we lock eyes. Friends, keep your eyes locked, locked and fixed on Jesus. That's why that scripture says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Fixed. It's not moving. Because there's so much drama going on all around us that the second we start looking left and right and up and down, I mean, listen, we are in chaos constantly. This world, it's, it's a disaster. But when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we lock our eyes on Jesus, that's when we can surpass the storm. I was on a Southwest Airlines flight um, a couple years ago. How many ever flown Southwest Airlines in here? Southwest Airlines, they don't give you seat assignments. They kind of board you like cattle, I guess. Like they kind of herd you into troughs and like just kind of board you in. So if you're an introvert, it's like a nightmare of an airline. If you're an extrovert, it's your dream airline because everyone's like happy and they're singing songs. And But I, like I fly all the time. I want to know my seat before I get to the airport. Like I want to know, I want an aisle seat. Like, I used to want a window seat. I turned 40, I need aisle seats now. <laughs> I want to know. And so I get there, and if you're the last person to board a Southwest Airlines flight, if you're the last person to board a Southwest Airlines flight, you're public enemy number one. Why is that? Well, yeah, everyone's staring at you, and nobody with an empty seat next to them wants you to sit in that seat. So I happen to be the last person to board this flight, and everyone that has an empty seat next to them, when they see me get on the plane, they start going, <coughs> <coughs> they're like coughing, they're like, <coughs> and I'm like, and I already have like confidence issues, and I'm getting on the plane like, okay, be happy, be sprightly. So I'm like, going up and down the aisle, and I'm like, and everyone's like looking down, left and right, and towards the back of the plane, this older gentleman, about 75 years old, he happens to make eye contact with me. And I was like, busted. So I go running up to him. And I was like, hey, sir, can I sit in that seat next to you? This man crossed his arms, shaking, looked at me. And with more disrespect than I've ever seen in someone's eyes, he goes, mm -mm. <laughs> He said no. I was like, no, 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 sir, sir. Like, I'm the last one on the plane. Like, I'm a, we're all the way in the back of the plane. Like, I have to, I have to, can I please just sit? And he's like, mm-mm. So I, I, like, awkwardly climbed over him. And I, I sit in the seat next to him. And I'm like, I'm going to make this man like me. So, like, I, like I, I pulled out my phone. I was like, I'm going to be a good Christian. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, look at my family. I'm just, like, showing him pictures of my, 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 my kids and everything. And I'm like, hey, like, like, what are you doing? I'm trying my hardest. He's giving me nothing. He's just looking straight ahead. I've literally sat, I mean, it was like the rudest man I've ever met in my life. I'm sitting right next to him. I was like, Jesus, I picked the wrong seat. Oh, my gosh. And so I'm, I'm like, finally, I give up. 
And we've taken, it's like 20 minutes into the flight, and I'm like, done already. I'm like, I'm just done with this man. So we fly for four hours up next to this man. About 20 minutes before we land in Atlanta, the plane starts to bounce a little bit. And it bounced so much that the, the pilot got on the intercom. Any pilots in here? Okay, I want to talk to you guys outside. Because let me, let me tell you what this man said over the intercom. Ladies and gentlemen, the winds are blowing 40 miles an hour in Atlanta. In order to safely land, they have to be below 40. So we're going to give it a shot. <laughs> that is what that man said. So I fly all the time, but I'm like, this is why I don't like Southwest too. Like, they think they're funny, but that's not funny. It's bouncing, it's bouncing. Well, I look over at Rudest Man in America, and he is gripping the seat in front of him. And I haven't looked at him in a couple hours. And he's, he's shaking like this. And I look, and he's soaking wet. His shirt is just soaking wet. It's just dripping. There's water just dripping everywhere. And I realized that he wasn't rude. What was he? He was scared. It's like, oh, my gosh. God, I'm so sorry. I've been judging him the whole flight. He wasn't being rude to me. He was just freaked out. And now, now we're going to die together. <laughs> so I felt like God said, no, 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 no. Matthew 14. Just mimic what I did. Matthew 14. In order to rescue and help somebody get unstuck, the first step is to open your heart. So Jesus did. I was like, oh, sweet. I can do that. So I prayed for the man. I, pray, I prayed the most amazing Christian prayer you've ever heard. I, I sent, like, traveling mercies over a seat next to me. I was like, give him traveling mercies. I prayed a hedge of protection around the guy. Like, I prayed some of that. Like, I was like, amen. Whoa, I'm such a good Christian. I felt like such a good Christian. I felt God, like, he was kind of like, ah, ah. I mean, but God, I prayed for him. I helped him get unstuck. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? He's like, yeah, that's halfway. See, step one is to open your heart. It's great. But there must be action following conviction. Open your heart and open your what? Ah, hand. And I knew what I needed to do. But I didn't want to do it. I took five breaths just like that. I cocked my head right and I looked out the window. And I put my left hand on my knee just like this. And I said, if homeboy doesn't grab my hand in one second, I'm just going to start cracking my knuckles and acting like I'm stretching. Friends, one second after I put my hand on my lap, five cold, wet fingers are gripping mine. And I'm having this random romantic moment with a strange man at 35,000 feet. It's like, oh, my God. He's holding my hand. I was freaking out. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, okay, now what, God? Now what? Radio silence from God at that point. <laughs> that man held my hand for 20 minutes until we landed. We taxied to the gate. He's still holding my hand. And I'm still looking out the window. We get to the gate. I'm thinking, I should at least make eye contact with the man. We've been holding hands for like 25 minutes. <laughs> I turned to look at this man. I turned to look at him. He lets go of my hand. He stands up. He walks off that plane and never says one word to me. He used me. 
And the second I felt that rise up inside of me, he used me. God was like, no, 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 no. He didn't use you. You see, he used you. Friends, the only way, the only way to help other people get unstuck is to mimic Jesus. Open your heart and open your hand, but realize this. The rescue is never about you. The helping people get unstuck is never going to be about you. It's always, always going to reflect Jesus. Always going to reflect Jesus. If, the ref- if it ever becomes about you, it's no longer a rescue. It's a show. But I believe that God has called us to rescue others and help others get unstuck. And the reason why that, why that was the third point is because I believe that all of us in here need to deal with number one and number two first. And you see, tomorrow, we're going to dive a little bit more into my personal story of the hell that I went through and how Holy Spirit finally got me unstuck. But tonight, I want us to understand these three, three points. Again, the first one, we get unstuck when we find Jesus. The second one, we get unstuck when we stand still. And then third, we get unstuck when we lock eyes with Jesus. Sometimes we think we're the ones helping other people get unstuck, but they're the ones really helping us. I was uh, shooting a music video for my first record in downtown Atlanta. Gosh, this is almost a decade ago now. And um, it was like 6.30 in the morning. It was really cold. And, and this homeless man came walking by us while we were shooting this music video. And I remember thinking to myself, um, I see the homeless guy, but I don't have any money and I don't have any food. So I'm just going to keep shooting my Christian music video and ignore him. <laughs> it, it, it's what happens when we get so wrapped up in, our, in ourselves. And I just remember God was like, no, no, no. I need you to just look at him. Show him he's a man. So I'm like singing my song. I was like, okay, God. So I I turn to look at this man, and I locked eyes with him, and I go like this. And he drops his shopping cart, and he walks right into our music video. And I was like, see, God? I don't have any food. I don't have any money. I'm going to look like an idiot when he asks me. He walks up to me, and he goes, hey, man, you singing gospel, man? I go, yeah? He goes, please, you keep singing but can I sing with you? And we kept the camera rolling. And let me show you who got unstuck. Watch this. Uh, we were shooting, you know, different B-roll footage and some stuff for this uh, EPK. And, and this guy, Danny, comes walking up. I'm out there singing, you know, you're the God of second chances. It's like 37 degrees outside. My fingers are freezing cold. Well, Danny proceeds to walk himself right next to me. And he's like, keep singing your song. Okay, you sing a song, all right? Any song? And I start singing God of Second Chances. So when I get to where the chorus is over, Brother Danny starts singing in his Jamaican kind of vibe, definitely that Rastafarian feel. Danny was kind of an eye-opening experience for me seeing that this guy that he knew that I, I'm not homeless he comes walking up to share a moment with me and that we're two we're two beings we're two human beings in completely different areas of life 
that we're connected because we have a God of second chances. But it was it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Honestly, I can say that beyond a shadow of a doubt. That um, uh, I mean, maybe Danny was an angel. I don't even know. It was so God orchestrated that um, I think it blew all of our minds. And um, so anyway, Danny. I appreciate you for what you taught me today. One of the last things I said to Danny before I let him go, I looked at Danny in the eyes and I was like, Danny, keep trying to make it. And he looked at me and he was like, trying to make it? No, 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 it's not about trying to make it. I'm making it. Lord, have mercy, mercy, mercy. Hallelujah is your highest praise. 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 Kawanja. One creator, yes, I want father. How many moments are we missing? Because we're so busy. How many times have we walked by this? It, it wasn't Danny that was stuck. Who was it? It was me. And I'll never forget looking at Danny, going, keep trying to make it, man. And him looking at me like, excuse me? Keep trying to make it? And, and that's all he said. But what I heard him say was, no, no, no. Excuse me, Mr. Minivan and White Picket Fence. You, you keep trying to make it. You see me? I've got my shopping cart and the throne of grace. That's it. You have the throne of grace and all, oh, all of this stuff keeping you between you and the throne of grace. And listen, I'm, not to romanticize poverty, but the truth is, is I needed that way more than Danny did that day. But if I wouldn't have slowed down, I would have missed it this weekend or the next two days. God is going to want to blow your minds. He's going to want to blow your minds. And guess what? You're not going to get your mind blown if you don't stop. Stand still, slow down. My dad used to say it this way. Carlitos, gaze at God and glance at life. That's how he would say it. Every night before I go to bed. Carlitos, gaze at God and glance at life. And it used to be so annoying. But now I get it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Gaze at God and glance at life. And when you do that, you're going to start to get unstuck. Let's pray.